Hello, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Glenn Gruber, Director of Innovation Consulting at EPAM Continuum. In continuing our discussions around the growing importance of data in the enterprise, today we have a follow-up to our conversation from last November, where we explored the idea of data loops, a full lifecycle view of data from initial capture, managing the data pipeline, deriving insights, and then ultimately incorporating those insights back into the frontline business. Today, we bring back John Reardon, VP and Senior Director of Global Risk Solutions Technology at Liberty Mutual Insurance, and Val Sitlick, EPAM's Head of Big Data Practice and VP of Technology Solutions, in a discussion led by San Raymond, EPAM's own Chief Information Security Officer and SVP and Head of Cybersecurity Business, about the data paradox. How we balance an organization's desire to become increasingly data-driven with a seemingly insatiable appetite for more data, with the responsibility to be a good steward of that data, especially securing customer and partner data alongside the growing array of regulations from various governmental agencies across the globe. John, Val, and Sam will talk through the various aspects of the data paradox. They'll discuss the importance of encryption, data anonymization techniques such as differential privacy, the rise of synthetic data and its role in data science, and last but certainly not least, the critical importance of data governance, which can surprisingly help accelerate progress as the use of data and the field of data science continues to mature. Oh, and we can't forget about tools and budgets because I think all tech podcasts are contractually obligated to talk about tools and budgets. There is the potential of great power in data and the impact it can have of businesses of every stripe. Privacy and security are the key issues of the day and a great responsibility on which many companies' reputations lie. So sit back and channel your inner Uncle Ben as we discuss the data paradox. This is so cool. Hey, John, Val, so good to have you both um, today. Uh, I know we had that discussion the other day about all uh, specifically about data and and how so much is changing right now about uh, specifically around you know with cloud and and different aspect of it and security and 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 so on. Um, but then, John, you were mentioning how you call it, you know, the data loop paradox. If if you can just maybe share with the rest of the audience about what do you mean by that? I, I want to get your two cents on it. And uh, if you could speak to that, I, I think it's an extremely interesting topic. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Sam. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And let me take a minute to set the context and share this data paradox concept with you that that you mentioned there. Uh, first, the data loop framework is how we think about our data usage and the capabilities needed to help shape our priorities and technical approaches, ensuring we realize incre- incremental value throughout. And actually, as you referred there in our earlier podcast, we discussed that concept in, in some detail. Um, but just to connect the dots uh, to the paradox as, as a refresher, we think about uh, data as a full loop, right? We first unlock the data. So that means capturing it from many sources, making it available uh, for a variety of purposes. Then we're standardizing that data. We're f- providing access to that data, ideally in an easy, in an easy way. Um, we feed analytics. Uh, to then innovate and drive insights. 
uh, and then ultimately operationalize those insights back into our frontline business processes and thus closing the loop. This forces us to think about our data as a connected ecosystem where data comes full circle. And in a world where more and more analytic models are being developed, this, this loop is critical. What we didn't discuss in our last podcast is how data privacy and security is considered throughout that loop. Uh, and because as we provision and access that data within each step in accelerating that loop, the data privacy and security concerns have to be considered. So that really surfaces this data paradox, which is uh, the following. You know, it has never been more important to advance access to data for so many different data users. There is just this insatiable demand for more data, raw data that's not yet refined or unstructured data, you know, our untapped reserves, all of which to drive analytics, new predictive machines and AI of various types. And while at the same time, the data privacy concerns have never been so great. You know, we wanna keep our customers' data safe and secure. The data that is entrusted with us by, by those uh, customers. And because that's just the right thing to do, but also we obviously need to ensure compliance with all the emerging regulations. GDPR now for some time, uh, the California Privacy Rights Act, uh, and others that are on the horizon, all those uh, upon us. We need to ensure uh, strong records management through that full life cycle of data from capture to deletion. These privacy concerns are at odds with the desire to advance the access to data, but we need to do both well to be successful. And that is really the paradox. And, and that really is the challenge. I, I can't agree more. So, so that is the challenge, isn't it? So on one hand, and I'm getting flashback about this, by the way, my old days where when I was still at Oracle, we we're looking at data, you know, mostly looking at it from snapshot perspective, but it's, it's true, John. It's moving. It's constantly changing. It's really much more agile the way that you look at it. I love it. At the same time, there are these two forces pulling. One side, of course, we want to share as much as we can, we could, we can, so we could do the proper data science and learn more about it. On the other side, we also have to make sure that we, you know, CIA confidentiality and visibility of the data is so important. So, what do we do there? I, I, there are these terms of anonymization, tokenization, you know, masking the data, and so on. Val, so in real life, what, what happens? What what works? What doesn't work? Can you speak to that? Yes. Thanks, Sam. So I think, and maybe even before I get into, into some of our kind of approaches and how we think about this, another dimension that I just wanted to add a little is that ever so growing regulatory environment for, for all of the privacy. And, you know, just in the U.S., right, you, you have a California Privacy Act, but there's also New York Privacy Act, there's Vermont Privacy Act. So besides the fact that, you know, most of our customers operating in a global environment, right, the, and they have to kind of, uh, they have to start being very, very sophisticated about all of the exposure through various regulatory channels. Once once this data is collected, assembled, and, and becomes very comfortable for, for as, a, as a kind of vector for, for attack. But when we when we're looking at this, right, and I think that there's there's different ways we, we're thinking about this, but one of the more interesting ways is can we basically both sort of encrypt and secure this data or anonymize this data, and and at the same time get the maximum utility of it, so without basically having having basically 
yes to, to both answers, both secure and, and effective use. And there's a lot of very interesting kind of work happening there, right, around differential privacy, around distributed learning and federated learning and on and on. But one area where I think the, the we, we, you know, it's all it's all kind of be, being developed. I don't think there's very well established or common practices. I don't think there's a playbook that anybody can just grab and 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 be perfectly successful. But one area where I think we're doing a lot of kind of a thinking and and building solutions is in both anonymized data and even more interestingly synthetic data that actually has a, all of the attributes and actually can be very very effective for usage. It almost is 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 useful as a synthetic data and I, I mean, as as a real data. So and using all of this sort of a new you know uh, methods on you know order encoders and decoders and on and on and and GANs. I think there's a there's an opportunity sometimes and it obviously depends on the use case to create a data set that would actually look and be used almost like a real thing, but be uh, actually containing primarily generated and primarily fake data. Anyway, I'm going too long for this. No, no, I, I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. And and, and just for the audience, maybe by synthetic data, maybe you can clarify. Just in the old days, we call it data stubbing or API stubbing. This is a generated data set. This is a generated data set that matched the semantics of the okay. of the actual real data set. So you can test out your applications. You can even test out the flow. The only difference is this is generated by, you know, by your code. Uh, right. and, and yeah, and very often those generators are, uh, uh, you know, basically been be, be like rule-based generators where there's somebody sits there and just makes up a lot of data that supposedly looks like real data. But today we, we could basically use a smart sort of algorithm to read the real data, learn the data patterns, and then use these patterns in generation of this data. So the generated data looks a lot closer in its statistical uh, features to the real data sets. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I, I remember years ago, we just replaced the fields and, you know, just simple, just MD5 it and then hash it and just say, okay, call it a day. And, but when we generate, you ended up always generating the same data, which doesn't test real. So now you're saying people actually learn from real data to generate this data set, which, which allows you to test much more close to real life scenario. I'm almost thinking of this as creating like a Sims world where everybody's almost like real people. Oh, now you're going to talk about meta now. You're going to start talking about meta. Jeez. <laughs> I know we're going to go there. Well, maybe not. But anyway, great. Wonderful. So um, can I can we talk a little bit about uh, so typically in, in, in security, we, we, we would talk about um, address, which is, you know, when it's actually being stored, whatever that form is. And then we would talk about in transit, which is being transported, runtime, and and also the mutation of data, as we talked about. You talked, we called it loop, John. Um, it, it makes it so much more complicated from a security perspective. You know, yes, I can secure a set of data, but as you start to copy them into multiple copies and change them, how do you still maintain and apply to the policy? Could you, could you, either one of you, maybe speak to a little bit? about how do you maintain that level of security and, and what do you see as working like? Do you copy a separate set, then you protect that set, or do you let them move? How do you manage e pedigree of data and set and so on? How do you, what do you guys feel about that? Yeah, Sam, I, I can definitely start with that one. That, that's a great question. Um, you know, the environment is very complex, uh, as you stated, and, and you know, we have more data flowing 
it's more distributed, right? We got on-premise, we got, you know, uh, most data now moving into the cloud, got, you know, these emerging regulations, and, and we have all this now in that full context of the data loop. Um, and we have tools, you know, that are helping us. Uh, you, you hit on the uh, anonymization, you know, capabilities, the tokenization, et cetera, that, that Val was speaking to. And that, that's definitely a tool that we see in our toolbox as well. Uh, and, and seeing where that might be able to help us uh, manage this uh, to some degree. Um, but often, you know, it really just comes down to better data governance, right? You know, the standards and the policies that inform that data usage, ensure the data availability, usability, quality, and, and the security privacy associated, associated to it. Um, and, and oftentimes it, it may feel counterintuitive that uh, governance can can equal acceleration, um, but in this space, it actually is a key enabler, right? The, the better we understand our data, the better we catalog all the information, the better we understand the lineage, right? And as you were talking, right, we've got duplication of data sets, we've got, you know, copies of data sets for various purposes, all which, you know, now that storage is cheap and easy, right, to, to do that, um, that becomes, you know, more of a, of a tactic. Um, the more we understand privacy classifications, right? We've, we've put a lot of work into which data elements, you know, are PII um, that we need to, to secure. Um, when, when even you talk about, you know, anonymization, well, which data elements are we talking about, right? So understanding that classification, the better we can respond to the emerging needs, the more quickly we can find out Right, what we need. I, I think of like the simple example of uh, you know the old school library. Right, you show up, there was a card catalog. Right, where's the book I'm looking for? You don't just wander around the uh, the library looking for it. Right, there's an index. Where is it? Who you know? Who's the author? And then you can find you know what what uh, bookshelf it's on. You know, it sounds pretty simple, but that's what we're talking about. It's how do I find the data that I need? Where is it? How do I get access to it? Um, what am I entitled to, right? And then making the process easier for, for someone who has a legitimate business need, right? If they don't have the access, what steps do I need to go through to get the access I need? And if, if we can do all those things really uh, well, um, it accelerates the process uh, for our users, for the, all the data users in the organization, while also allowing us to better comply with these emerging regulations. That's so that's all enabled with governance. Yeah. That's, that's funny, John, because that, that lines perfectly with, from a, from a, a proactive security perspective where um, I, I, I have people ask me all the time, it's like, how do you know somebody's a bad guy? Physical security wise is you, you need to define a certain level of norm before you understand what is abnormal, before you know, understand what is nefarious act. Same thing with cyber. If you don't have structure, and a structure is really important to understanding a structure, how would you even know that's a noise? How would you even know that's an event? How would you even know that's a that's potentially an attack? You won't know. So that structure, it, it, we always say the same thing. Start with inventory, understand what your inventory is. You can't protect what you don't know. How do you set an asset? Then you classify to set an asset value to it so you understand what you care about, what you don't care about. Again, there's no such thing as protecting everything. It's impossible. You have to understand what's important to you and what's less important to you and prioritize based on that. So what you said about the structure of it, classification, 
building out that framework, completely agree with. How does that work in in um, data science uh, for when people actually need to understand and research on that data set? Uh, is there is there a set? Do people typically extract out a different set of data, Val, or how does that fall within data science and, and data science and governance? Do they do they is there a is there a conflict there? Is there not a conflict there? Do they support each other? What do you think? Actually, I think that data governance today, and this is you know by the way, just totally to support John's uh, point of view is it's probably the number one request today for us as as a practice is to to help our customers with establishing more robust data governance processes and 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 very often that's specifically to address needs of data science because in reality data governance some of this is basically creating the right set of controls but it's also about explaining what the data is and what kind of data it is and how to make sense of this data right so to me the and establishing the, the right level of controls over the quality of the data without all of this the data scientists who just you know getting you know the idea that data scientists can go and just get a random few data sets uh, make robust insights out of it and then turn it into a production application without understanding how repeatable these data patterns are. What is, is does that cover the entire sort of population of their customers? So just a subset without having all of this knowledge, these, these data sets are, are, you know, only, only effective to a degree. So, but there's also, also obviously a uh, conflict because, you know, you, that data, the, the, the larger data sets that, um, data scientists require that they could potentially have some some fairly significant risks and significant sensitive information so so this is again i think a lot of it is what we're trying to sort of discuss is computable policies so as data scientists for example request access to data set we want to understand can we at the runtime calculate who's this data scientist what's in this data is that does that data set can be directly sort of granted to a data scientist, or there's we need to trigger some sort of event and some sort of audit event or some level of discussion to understand why this data set. But but again, maybe moving it from a purely process point of view where it's all kind of human power driven into sort of a establishing both computation and data quality and even data access into a set of sort of a programs, rule and, and kind of technology components that will make this a little smoother for, for both for data scientists and for actually even most importantly, large analytical uh, community. Gotcha. That's perfect. Can we can we talk a bit about tooling? I know people always say it's not about the tool, not about the tool, but anybody who's actually ever tried to fell a tree with a pocket knife before can tell you sometimes it is about the tool. So you certain you just can't do and maintain a certain level of work if you don't if you don't focus on a tool. Um, maybe either John or Val, could you speak to about the tooling and, and help me understand are people still building out a lot of this infrastructure and control on top of the maintainers, or are there certain solutions, certain architectures, certain framework that actually help facilitate this? Or are we still in the Wild Wild West days where people still, you know, build these controls ad hoc? Yeah, yeah, Sam, I, I can start with that one. And, you know, it's it's definitely uh, an emerging space, uh, as, as you pointed out, right? I think it's it's still uh, a ways to go overall, but definitely uh, a lot of new capabilities out there and, and tooling to help support this process. 
you think about um, just basic data catalog products, there, there's a lot of great products out there that uh, help you better inventory manage uh, your data, the catalog um, uh, inventory that we discussed, scanners. I think that's probably a, a new one in terms of uh, helping with lineage, being able to automatically scan through the data ecosystem and help identify like where is all the data and what are all the, the you know the points uh, at which it flows and at, at rest. Um, so definitely some tools there that can help. Um, as Val was talking about the data science uh, use case, you know, just thinking in terms of a data marketplace, right? Where do I go to even understand what's available? Because typically a data scientist is coming at this from uh, a business problem, right? I'm, I'm trying to solve a particular problem. Uh, what data do I now need to help solve that problem? I'm not even sure what I want, right? So I'm sort of searching as if I'm at the at the store, right? Um, browsing, what data could help me? Um, so having a marketplace concept where I can go and look at what's available, um, then be able to do sort of quick search and discovery. Oh, I think this data set may help me. What actually is in here, right? What product, what line of business, what time frame? Uh, is available and and having that kind of capability is 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 amazingly uh, valuable um, and some of those capabilities are, are starting to emerge and, and become more available but oftentimes it does come down to uh, you know people and uh, process right around that so who can I talk to <laughs> who who has the knowledge and and obviously we want to get that automated as much as possible but because this is a challenging space a lot of comes down to subject matter knowledge you know, it, it, you can't take a shortcut sometimes for the hard work in the discipline of people and process around all of this, no matter what tools are out there. So making sure you have the roles in the organization that focus on this stuff to help those uh, users, uh, well-defined responsibilities and clear accountabilities for that data uh, quality, data uh, access and availability, some kind of a light framework around it that no matter how hard we try, you're not going to be able to get everything all in one place, you know, quickly, right? So knowing who do I talk to, who do I go to, and who are the experts, and making it easy for people to navigate that um, is is still super important. And and I think absolutely agreed. And I think that you know. Just the whole idea of a completely centralized data governance today is, is probably, especially for a large organization, for example, like Liberty, is is less than realistic. But establishing the central set of processes, policies, and tools is absolutely viable. But what's interesting today, and, and Sam, to, to answer your question, I, I think this is definitely massively evolving area, right? There's there's some leaders in like a data catalog, right? like Calibra, Alation, there's, there's some tools today Google just came out with a new kind of uh, dataplex, which is like a man data management and governance tool on GCP cloud. And pretty much all of the cloud providers are working to to sort of enable and making more and more robust things. But I think that there is a I think that even sort of a, that our understanding of what good likes is evolving. So so there's no tool that can sort of catch up as when the when the I was thinking about this evolving and the whole idea of a data mesh, right? This is where what what 
I think some at some point before you were mentioning domain kind of driven. So so having sort of a clear understanding of what are the data domains, how do we govern the individual data domains, how do we sort of push all the central policies in to, but to the individual sort of teams that support those data domains. All of that requires fairly complex orchestration, integration, and actual organizational change very often and change management. So I don't think there's any technology or, or, or tool that today will go in and just give you like a hundred percent 360 sort of a data governance solution that will that will enable all of that. Yeah, you guys are having more. too much fun. It just <laughs> sounds like you guys are having too much fun. If you ask me, I miss those days. I miss those days working on a data layer. But anyway, um, can we can we step back a little bit and talk about budget? I know it sounds like a boring topic, but ultimately it, it, it is. I mean, people willing to pay where they see value in it. Do you see that in the enterprise that people are investing and in budgeting um, uh, data security beyond the typical DLP, beyond the typical, yeah, I'm encrypting the disk. Do you see that enterprise or, or um, they're, they're investing in this area and, and wh whose budget does it usually fall on? If that's something you could share with us as well. And maybe John, you could start first and Val chime in if that's all right. Yeah, sure, Sam. From from my perspective, uh, the answer is, yeah, absolutely. Like we're seeing more investment uh, in this space. Um, the challenge often is when when you're coming at it purely from the the regulatory perspective, right? The appetite is is always like what what is necessary. Um, we try to come at it from if we do the right things with governance, uh, with, with, you know, all the tooling stuff that we talked about, um, you know, we can make this valuable for the business, right? This helps drive the business. This helps accelerate the business and the compliance stuff becomes more baked in and a byproduct of doing the right things. So what that then does is it drives a, a more of an appetite for investing more in things that might've historically been seen as, you know, like, uh, you know, superficial things like governance, when in fact, those things actually become really key enablers. Uh, so we've been able to make some strong business cases for more of those things um, because you can more clearly connect it to the business value. So yeah, more investment in those areas to then help, right, where you really want to put more investment and that's in, you know, the data science aspects and where we can really drive more analytics uh, and drive more insights into the business where you got a much clearer um, connection to the, the business uh, uh, you know, of insurance in our case. I like that a lot. What do you think, Val? So I think just as an anecdote, uh, we, we have a, you know, one of our projects where we, we standardizing the supplier data for our customer and in improving quality of the supplier data and they immediately this is a project that is actually run by a cfo because it has a such an immediate and clear business impact because once you have the clear understanding of supplier data you can you can improve your kind of negotiation position with suppliers across the globe and and understand you know which are the more profitable suppliers so, so these things that we normally call data governance and usually were assumed to be kind of a an extra fee <laughs> at tax on a, on a real production work nowadays more and more 
we can we can convert them into either really clear sort of a business impacts that 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 would drive additional business or and unfortunately that's also a reality you know the the reputational and business risks coming from not having this kind of a security first and clear understanding so massive and and we've seen it so much in the industry that this is no longer a discussion that we need to make right once we you know, if you're building a customer 360, the last thing you want to do is having this customer 360 sort of being being exposed to to sort of a malicious pair of eyes. So I think that's very easy discussion today. I think most of the time I see this this budget is split. So so there's a obviously infrastructure level kind of security, and that's usually a lot more you know kind of enterprise level discussion with a like uh, chief security officers and and infrastructure folks putting together the right policies identity management but then you know we can see also the security managed for example at the level of uh, different domains so like a customer data security very often we see some of this finding is done for example to you know the, the customer officers and and like uh, data chief data officers and so this is not a just a single place where that money is being spent. I think that's being, and definitely data governance is definitely today is something that that has a multiple sources of funding in most of the organizations. So again, I, I, I think that as long as we turn these discussions from a, from a sort of a basically attacks into a real business driver, all of a sudden it turns out that there's quite a lot of organization willingness to spend money on it provided that you give you can provide some level of guarantees of outcomes that that these programs will will bring that's perfect i'm going to quote both of you in my next budget cycle <laughs> but i think uh, this is this is such an interesting topic I, I i honestly think that if we can maybe spend some more time maybe next time around cloud security as well i think there's a lot of concerns yeah. and people miss about that and, and maybe we can get into that next time this is almost a teaser i just want to throw it out there we were the three of us could get together again and talk about cloud especially since you know as a cso i think it would be very interesting to hear sam your kind of experience on how you approach and where you get pulled in into into all these data discussions i'm sure this is a significant part of your day as well you, you know better than let me talk Val. you know that's <laughs> <laughs> But I, sign, I think, sign me uh, up, Sam. Sign me up for that right, one. Mike, that sounds good. Sounds great. So now we have a part two. But before we go, gentlemen, if I may, um, uh, any any uh, advice for people that's, I mean, it's a big problem, honestly. It's a huge problem uh, for both of you experts in the area. You know, obviously, you guys have been doing this for quite some time. But imagine if somebody looking at the large data set, they're moving to some of them moving over to a data hub model, some of them going to you know, uh, federated models, some of them decentralize their data, going through all this transformation and, and security is, is has to be there lined up. And any advice for some of our audience out there about, um, you know, as they go through the journey of hardening their data and this transformation and, and understanding this, how to take full advantage of this data loop. Um, any advice on, on, you know, maybe a few things and, you know, what they should what they should focus on yeah i mean i think my advice sam is always start with the business question that you're trying to solve for uh that helps you focus and keep it 
you know, simple and, and as small as possible in scope, because all of this can be overwhelming when you look at the vast, uh, you know, uh, ecosystems that, that a lot of companies are dealing with um, across the full data loop as we think about it. Um, start with what's the fundamental questions. It helps you isolate, right, what data you're talking about, keeps your scope, and then you can get, you know, the right people involved uh, to, to really think through who has, you know, the need for the data access. Uh, think about the privacy aspects, but just for a smaller set of the data and the security aspects of, you know, how do we protect this? Like who needs to access what? And um, how do we put the the walls around the data where appropriate? And how do we ensure, you know, the data is not proliferated any more than it needs to be? And if you do that, you can create a template to be repeated on a bigger scale uh, across the board. Um, but if you start with, you know, the, the bigger <laughs> problem, uh, it can be paralyzing. So uh, start small, think about the, the key business questions, and that should, you, should help you uh, focus appropriately. Love it. I'm taking notes. Val? Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree. I think that creating a Fort Knox from a ground zero is a, is a massive undertaking, and it, it can get pretty expensive, and sometimes it's really even hard to understand, you know, whether the data that, that sits there is, is actually justifies that level of protection. But I think that my uh, sort of a simple approach is there's so many kind of good quality sort of industry blueprints in terms of those are the kind of capabilities you should think about in a platform. So as you're building and designing and, and evolving your platform, just have them in mind, right? So don't don't think don't create the security and things like that after you've built a platform. But but have an understanding that those capabilities needs to be there and then sort of mature them as your platform matures. But having like a little of a box that basically says, I need to have a some data quality mechanism. Let's put like a little box there and says we will it will be very simple right now, but let's have it. Let's have some simple sort of a uh, auditing mechanism around the platform. We will evolve it as the platform evolves. But having those simple very little boxes sometimes will save you a lot of work later on when your platform is massively successful. It, it's used by thousands of people and you realize that there's some very, very basic kind of a security capabilities and, and access control capabilities that weren't put in place. And that is very, very hard to remediate afterwards. Good stuff. This is great. This is wonderful. Well, folks, um, thank you so much. This is this is great. I, I hope next time we could actually do it in person. And and I think we could, we could even whiteboard some of it and maybe we could somehow take pictures and share it with other audience as well. But we'll figure something out. But let's get together again soon and talk about this. Well, Thank you, Sam, for and thank you, John. Great discussion. Thank, thank you, gentlemen. Great, great to be here. EPAM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting, focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real, because from our perspective, ideas aren't really innovative until they exist. Thank you again to John, Val, and Sam for a fantastic discussion. And none of this happens without the support of the people behind the scenes. Thanks to Ken Gordon, our producer, and Kip Palalis, our sound engineer. And I'm your host, Glenn Gruber. Until next time, thank you for listening.